I have a very specific uh, message or word that I want to deliver today, and it was very difficult for me. Sometimes when the Lord put something on my heart, uh, you know, there's a lot of structure to it, and then sometimes I get a message that I, have, I haven't uh, preached for over three weeks, so it's not like I haven't had the time, but every time I, I sit down to put the message together, it just doesn't happen because it's like I'm trying to piece some things together. So I've learned along the way just to say, okay, God, it will be whatever comes out, and it's just going to be delivered that way. So it may not be so many points in a poem, but hopefully you hear what the Lord wants to say to us today. Amen? So you may know from my teachings recently, especially over the last few months, that I keep a close eye on this movement called ex-evangelical movement. And if you're not familiar with that, it is uh, especially millennials who are leaving the evangelical church in droves and... Um, you know, have kind of in response saying they're deconstructing their faith and, you know, pointing out, you know, errors in, in, in the church and really bashing the church and organized religion in that way. And, um, you know, it breaks my heart to see people walk away from faith or from church, which Jesus established the church. He said, upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church but, you know, the more I've, I've listened to some of these people and their stories, some of them have legit complaints, you know, in church life. And, you know, there are so many branches of Christianity and church styles and structures. And uh, you hear some of their stories, and it's really heartbreaking of abuse that has happened or uh, people shunned or people hurt or uh, you know, it, it can be really heartbreaking. And I don't say that we are above any of that because, you know, anytime you work with people or get around other people, you will eventually be wronged, get hurt, and probably be offended. Yes. Okay? So we never advertise that it's all going to be roses here and that nothing will ever go wrong here and that somebody won't do you wrong or I won't make a mistake or, you know, I, I've been pastoring now for 18 years and I can look back at uh, many of the situations that over those 18 years and say, you know what, you were wrong. You hurt that family. You should have done this different. And by God's grace, we, we, we reevaluate, we grow, we make it right where we can, but we keep moving forward. But in some cases, there are people who have taken offenses and taken it as a license to say that the church is in error, the church is wrong. Actually, CNN, and I think I sent a picture of this if I didn't, it's all right, uh, put out a news article uh, that says, here was the title, Rapture Trauma Taking a Lifetime to Heal. And this is by CNN News. Rapture trauma taking a lifetime to heal. And what they're saying is if you were raised in the, uh, especially the 90s, and you remember the Left Behind series, which are actually coming back with another movie, a lot of people who are walking away from the church are saying they were so traumatized at the thought of the rapture and all that that would entail. And if you've watched the movies or read the books, you know, planes falling from the sky, that has brought trauma to their life and it's taking a lifetime to heal. So I say that to you because whilst there are some stories who people were wronged and abused, it doesn't give you a license to leave the church at large, maybe just find a healthier one, uh, but it doesn't give you a license to reject what God said is his body on the earth. Come on, somebody. But there are also those who would 
look at the teaching of the rapture and say it's taking me a lifetime to heal from the trauma that that was. Okay. So you see we're working with a very broad spectrum here. But my heart always breaks when I see people walk away from the church, walk away from faith. And I think today that's why we need what I call keeping power. When you've seen somebody who's been in the church 50, 60 years, 70 years, come on, you don't think there was offenses, opportunities to walk, opportunities to quit, opportunities to leave? Come on, somebody. But there's something deeper on the inside that has that keeping power, that staying power. All right, I'll move on. So anyway, I keep an eye on this ex-evangelical movement and, and really because I want to evaluate, you know, are there things that the church is doing that we could be better at, right? Again, there were some legit complaints. But this past week, or actually two weeks ago, there was a Christian singer who said the most powerful thing in response to the ex-evangelical movement. He said the problem with people who have disassociated themselves with their faith and with the church and with, with you know, the body of Christ at large is that somewhere along the way, and hear this, their faith stopped growing. And when he said that, man, for me, it was the right answer for what's happening. Because listen, some of them, you know, were worship leaders. Some of them were pastors. Some of them were strong people in the house of God who have said, you know what? It's not working for me. I'm out of here. And it breaks my heart because I've had days I want to quit. I want to run and never look back. Come on, like you don't from your job. Come on, somebody. There are challenges. There are situations but when he said that, it was the right answer. Somewhere along the way, their faith stopped growing. That answered so many questions for me because any relationship that stops growing or stops being invested in will always die. You know, you will hear marriage counselors and people who do marriage workshops say, you know, to say, well, we fell out of love is a bad excuse. Because if you can fall out, you can fall back in. You fall out because you didn't put in. Come on, somebody. You get out of something what you put into something. So if you've fallen out of love, the answer is not divorce. The answer is let's start putting back into the relationship what we need to put back into the relationship that started the fires in the beginning. Keep investing in the relationship, and the relationship will grow and flourish and last. But the key part of it is, is your relationship after being married for 20 years shouldn't be like it was when you were dating for three months. Somewhere along the way, it has to deepen. It has to develop. It has to get stronger. You got to know more about the other person. How many of you know sometimes the things that you thought when you were dating your spouse were cute and fun are the very things that irritate you later on in the marriage? Don't raise your hand. I see you out the corner of my eye. So who we were can't be who we are. That's called a fling. No, but for, for real. There's no investment on my part. There's no investment on your part. We're just doing this thing together until either one of us decides it's not working for me anymore. 
And what the church has done is we have introduced a generation of people to a fling. And we've said, let's be an, an attractional church, which means come, we will put on a good show for you. We'll inspire you. We'll introduce you how to run through the fields with this Jesus. But we've never taught them about discipleship. We've never taught them about sacrifice. We've never taught the generation less of me and more of him. Because in any relationship that's going to last, sometimes you have to say, fine, I don't want to eat there. But just because you want to eat there, we'll eat there. Less of me and more of you. Sometimes I don't want to take out the trash. But you do it. Why? Less of me. So in any growing relationship, what is invested will be returned. And my fear is that we've introduced a generation of people not to be a disciple of Jesus, but to have a fling. And then we wondered why when the lights and the smoke and the tickles and the bells and the, the you know, feelings wear off. It's easy to say it's just not working for me anymore. You know, I have said, and I'm going to be real transparent. I have said there have been so many seasons where I've said, Lord, if I could do anything else. And I'm going to tell you, any real pastor has days where you want to do something else. Otherwise, you're not really pastoring because I don't know. I mean, it just is what it is. It's hard. It's hard work. People are hard. I always laugh when, you know, people say, oh, you know, these pastors, money hungry. They got into the ministry for money. <laughs> Where's that at? Told you before when I pastored in, in, in this building, our, our church was smaller and it met in the basement of this side. I lived in what was now my office so I could work full time to pay the rent for the basement for years. So I always laugh and say, did I take the wrong denomination? I mean, like, where's that? Like, you know, when, when people say that. But for me, pastoring and leading a church has been about sacrifice and it's been about giving up of yourself to see the church move forward and, and it you know, can be difficult seasons. But what I think we've done is we've attracted a generation on feeling, but we've never really converted them through repentance, obedience, and sacrifice. And what I said all that other stuff for was in seasons of my life where I've often said, God, can't I just be normal? Like, I want to go do what everybody else is doing. Like, I, I want to go to the club. <laughs> I don't want to be left out. And sometimes you have, I wonder what my life would look like if I wasn't a Christian or a believer. I'm just talking for me. I think there comes a point in your relationship with God and I've said this, where I'm ruined for anything else. I'm ruined for anything else. He's ruined me. What I mean by that is, 
I wouldn't know what to do with the times I've heard his voice so clearly in the midnight hour and it kept me from literally losing my natural mind. How would I walk away from that? I could go, but my mind would always go back to, he was so real. When I look back at some of the darkest seasons of my life and I know looking back in the moment through dark seasons, you don't know it. But when you look back and you're like, that was such a dark time. But now that I look back, God was so close. What would I do with that? How would I justify that being nothing more than a religious experience? His goodness has ruined me. His favor has torn me up for anything else but to spend my days and my nights in the house of God worshiping him. That's why David said I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than spend a thousand days anywhere else because there comes a point in your relationship with God that I can lose everything else but I could never lose him. And I submit this to you because it is a a thing that you always have to be evaluating. Because if I don't keep investing in my relationship with God, it stops growing. It stops moving forward. I let other things come in and crowd out and where I used to hear his voice, now I'm not sure anymore. Church is good, but it's just a thing now. Church is good, but who wants to go and mess with a bunch of Christians and you know exactly what I'm talking about? Not me. But when my relationship with God is right, I see his people right. I see his church right. I see what he's doing on the earth clearly. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. I believe that we need to shift into being a discipleship-driven church. Not just an invite. Not just pray a prayer and good luck in your journey. But to teach people what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ to be counted a disciple of Jesus Christ. I believe we're in a season where we need to measure and evaluate what we do as a church and measure its effectiveness. It's one of the first things that I'm gonna have our eldership team do is begin to look at our core values and our vision statement and say, you know, that's who we were eight years ago, but is it who we are today? You know, science actually says that every seven to 10 years, a majority of your body, not every part of it, and some does it quicker, but a majority of your your body reproduces its cells every seven to 10 years. So literally some parts of your body every seven years is completely new because cells have regenerated themselves. And so it is in a church or an organization who you started out as may not be who you are. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's approaching God in a new season, looking at the culture and saying culture has changed dramatically in the last, you know, eight years, especially in the last two years. So is who we were then effective where we are now? What do we need to change? What do we need to adjust? 
what the church needs and what we desperately have to have is revival. We need it and we have to get it. There are two words that are thrown around a lot, revival and awakening. I'm going to clarify what the difference is. Revival is when something that was alive comes back. An awakening is when something that was dead and not alive comes to life. So what the world needs is an awakening. But what the church first needs is a revival. So we need to get back to God. We need to start evaluating our relationship with him and saying, Father, where have I gone wrong? Father, what do I need to adjust? One of the ways, and I'll continue talking about this because I'm not going to hit it all today over the next few weeks. But one of the main ways we get revival is through a word that we haven't taught a generation through a word that doesn't preach well and won't attract crowds, but it will attract disciples. It's a word called repentance. I want you to see a quick story in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. I can't help but say his name and not hear the childhood song. Well, there's a wee little man named Zacchaeus who climbed up a sycamore tree to see what he could see, see, see. All right, that, that'll tell you who was in church in the 90s and who wasn't right there. Luke 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seek, seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. First thing I want you to know is Zacchaeus is an unlikely candidate to encounter Jesus. He is highly hated by the community because, number one, he was rich, and number two, he became rich by stealing from them. So, so he wasn't, you know, uh, you know, Jesus did a lot for the blinds, for the beggars, for, you know, the lepers, but this is a rich, thieving man, and Jesus comes and says, I want to stay at, at, at your house and, and be a part of, uh, of your life. But one of the things I want you to note is that the scripture said that Zacchaeus heard about Jesus. Well, first of all, we're not 100% sure of how he heard about Jesus, but there is an aspect that Matthew, a disciple of Jesus, was also a tax collector, and he may have known that Matthew might have been at the same conference, tax collector conference, <laughs> and known that, hey, Matthew was a pretty bad dude. And now he's hearing these rumors that Matthew is changed and is following this man who's claiming to be the, uh, the Messiah. So he hears this and he says, I have to run ahead and climb a sycamore tree. Can you imagine this? A grown man running ahead, this short little guy climbing a tree to get to Jesus. Can I tell you, anytime people step out of their comfort zone to do something, to get closer to Jesus, he calls it significant. There are crowds around Jesus, and he paid no mind to any of them. 
But one person ran ahead and climbed a tree and Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. One woman with the issue of blood pressed through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment where hundreds of other people had been touching. But he looked at her and said, today you are made whole. Why? Because God responds when we say, we so desire you. We so want you. We so need you that I'm willing to look stupid and I'm willing to look dumb and I'm willing to be considered an outcast if it just brings me closer to you. Zacchaeus responds to Jesus, verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Since also the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. How Zacchaeus responds is the way somebody should respond when they experience a life change. He goes out on a limb and says, I'll refund everything I've stolen four times. And some might say, yeah, right, you know, he just, that was just words. He's talking to a human lie detector test. Jesus. You know, he calls him out and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Come down from the tree. There's no record that he introduced himself. Like prophet Jesus looked at him and said, hey, Zacchaeus, how do you know my name? So, you know, Jesus would have pretty good insight of this guy's just words, right? But no, Jesus hears his heart, sees what he's done. And team, you can come. But here's something that's pretty cool about this story. Is that in Luke, where we're reading this from, the Gospel of Luke talks about a tree two times. It's pretty significant. This tree was a sycamore tree, which is a, another type of fig tree. Everybody say fig tree. In the Bible, trees represented a lot. Like you think of the palm branches represented victory and, and yeah, as they yell, yelled Hosanna and, and calling Jesus. And you, you, you think of, of uh, Israel was even called a peace, like the, the symbolization of a tree. And there's a lot of symbolization of that tree. And I, I want to see the other time in the Bible that Luke talks about a tree. And it's found in Luke 13, verse 6. And this is Jesus speaking, and he told a parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. And I have found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And if it should bear no fruit next year, you can cut it down. A fig tree was the same as the sycamore tree, same type of tree. Do you know what Jesus is talking about in this parable? He's talking about repentance. If it doesn't bear fruit, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remember he said, anything that is attached to me 
will bear fruit. So when Jesus is looking at the fig tree, he says, it's not bearing fruit, cut it down. And there's a plea from the vine dresser, just give it one more year, one more year, one more year. I just, when I understand what now the fig tree or the sycamore tree represents, I now picture this wee little man hanging off of this fig tree, which symbolized repentance. Jesus previously said the fig tree isn't producing fruit. It's not repentance. Now I have this wee little man hanging off the tree, almost like fruit, repenting. Do you see the significance there? When I look at Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus was aware that he had a problem. He was aware that he had some blind spots in his life. And he sought the Lord for repentance. One of the greatest things that we can do is take personal responsibility for where we are and what's happening in our life. One of the things we struggle with right now with our, our oldest, one day my kids will listen to all my preaching tapes and be mortified of how much I talked about them. But he does this thing, especially in the mornings. Jeremiah, get your shoes on. We're getting ready to leave. We have to go now. Nobody told me. His phone didn't plug in overnight and charge. In the morning he comes down and he's throwing a temper tantrum. His phone's dead. Okay, what do you want me to do about it? Well, nobody told me to plug it in. That's your phone, your chart, plug it in. Plug it in. What I'm trying to teach him is you have to take responsibility for your own actions. A child says it's your fault. You did it. They did it. They hurt me. They, they wounded me. The church this, the, the church that. A grown person says they may have brought their best game, but I res am responsible for how I respond. That is bearing fruit. Can I say we will never bear fruit as individuals and we will never bear fruit as a church as long as we play the blame game. Well, I don't belong. I don't fit in. Nobody likes me. Nobody's a friend to me. Well, first of all, wipe the dirty look off your face and smile a little bit. And guess what? You might start attracting some right people. But no, 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 no. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to look at themselves. Nobody wants to help me. My job won't give me a raise. My husband doesn't support me. Fill in the blank. You know where you bear fruit? When we get before God and we say, this isn't about anybody else but me and you, sir. Would you show me the blind spots? Would you show me where I'm wrong? How I didn't respond well? How I keep going around the same mountain over and over again? Because see, I blamed it on my last spouse because, you know, they were whacked out. And the one spouse before that was just... But at some point, you have to say there's something with you that you keep running after the same type of people and not pausing for a minute to say, is this the right one? Do you, are you with me? These are hard conversations to have, not easy. But can I say brokenness is the requirement for revival. 
brokenness. Marriage counseling is such a wonderful thing. Personal counseling is such a wonderful thing. Why? Because it will lead you into hard conversations that otherwise you may not have. And you keep repeating the cycle, but when you can just sit and have the hard conversation and say, yep, I do that, you do that, it's out in the open. Now we can build again. Now we can build again. So let's stand to our feet. I'm going to end this service very different today. Because how much longer are you going to justify your bad attitude and just say that's the way God made me? How long are you going to justify being short-fused and having an anger problem and blaming it on everybody else? How long? It's stopping you from producing fruit. How long are you going to gossip about other people and disguise it as sharing your heart and praying for one another? How long will we continue to lie at the office? How long will we continue to abuse drugs or alcohol and just say, I'm just letting off some steam. I'm just relaxing. How much longer? It's a different heart for the house because I don't believe there's any better way to start off our eighth year of ministry than in repentance before God. And say, God, show me. Point out the blind spots. So I'm going to ask everybody in the room to do something. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But there's something about positioning your body with what your heart is saying. I'm going to ask those who are willing to make your way to the front and I'm not going to pray for you and lay hands on you. But to kneel at this altar and take on a posture of repentance and to bow before God and say, where have I gone wrong? Where am I not bearing fruit? What needs to change in me? Show me the blind spots. I don't want to stay the way I've been. The addictions have to go. The cycles have to break. And I just want to encourage you, even if you're in your, your to, to kneel in the aisles, to kneel at your seat. If, if you can't do that, just to even sit in your seat and just, just get alone with God for a minute. Lord, would you show me the blind spots? Will you show me where I've been in error? I don't want to go another year with the same addiction that I had last year. Would you speak to your church today, Father? Would you speak to your people? 
Come on, I believe in this moment. He's speaking to your heart. Reveal yourself to us, Father. Father, we repent for being selfish. We repent for being just inward focused. We repent for pride, for believing that our way was better than your way. Believing that we knew best. We repent for rejecting your word and going our own path. We repent for having a sharp tongue. We repent for responding in judgment and in anger. today Father the most beautiful thing that happens is out of repentance out of the ashes of our repentance comes a beautiful new beginning we repent we change our ways we change our mindset
I just want to seal this time with this prayer of consecration for our church. Father, I thank you now that this isn't a completed work today, but this is the starting of a journey where you're calling your church back to repentance. No more blinders. No more blinders. I want to encourage you to begin to pray this prayer. Whatever God spoke to your heart. I heard a minister say this and I've prayed this for years over different things. Is pray that Father, that thing that you spoke to me about today, an attitude, a relationship, a thought pattern, whatever it was, that your Holy Spirit would increase my conviction concerning that thing. That whenever I would go there again, your Holy Spirit's all over me. Convicting me. Challenging me. So Father, I pray as a church, not that we get it right all the time, but we take the blinders off. That we would pursue relationship with you above all else. That we would go after you that in this eighth year is a new beginning, a new season, a new era, if you will, of ministry for our church. That looks nothing like the past, but it's a new day. And we want to get it right in this season. In Jesus' name, the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated just for a minute. Team, you keep playing.